can we leverage public ledger technology? Is it resilient enough for our needs or do we need to operate a private network that's more constrained that gives us a level of additional security such that we can manage that? I mean, all of our infrastructure today is run on private networks, completely isolated oh, from yeah. the internet. So how can you deliver a solution that provides accessibility for the broader ecosystem, but then at the same time maintains that level of control in terms of your information security? Can't you just so build a, an API on the private? That is, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, 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 yeah. just, just an API. Sounds good. It's not that simple, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. Encrypted is Middle East's largest podcast dedicated to blockchain, crypto and the fintech ecosystem. I'm your host, Ahmed Bilari. Firstly, I want to say Happy New Year, everyone. And given everything that is happening around the world, I really hope this year is one filled with happiness for both you, your friends and your families. Also, it's absolutely amazing, right? And how we're seeing Bitcoin has been smashing all-time highs throughout December of 2020 and into this first week of January 2021. And it's also a perfect segue to introduce today's episode, which is about the rise of institutional adoption in blockchain and crypto. We have two special guests with us today, Tamim Ahmed from the UCL Center for Blockchain Technologies and Dotin Ramini from the Emerging Technology Division at the London Stock Exchange Group. Institutions are coming and tokenization is a real thing and it's taking place. And if you're looking to understand more about how the London Stock Exchange Group and UCL view blockchain and cryptocurrencies and what they're doing in this space specifically, then this episode is definitely for you. This is another excellent episode from the Future Blockchain Summit, which was part of Jitex in Dubai, one of the only in-person events that's taken place during COVID times. So again, shout out to the Future Blockchain Summit team in Dubai. Now, before we start, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Blockfinex, the global crypto exchange, where you can trade your cryptos in seconds with one of the fastest matching engines in the space and high liquidity, you could trade your favorite cryptocurrencies quickly and seamlessly. Blockfinex offers one of the most competitive trading fees as well compared to industry leading competitors, as well as a quick onboarding process for its users. You can find them at blockfinex.com. Also, I'd really like to thank those who've been supporting the show. And remember, you can support us in any way possible. You can subscribe, rate and review the show, sharing the podcast on your social media and any other way you feel like supporting. And now on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Encrypted Podcast. We are live here in Jitex in this really interesting year. Never knew we were going to be doing a, a real life podcast in person. Absolutely amazing. With me is my wonderful co-host, which I've seen for the first time probably six months. Yeah, about right. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for having. Thanks for uh, having us back. <laughs> of course. How are you doing, Nick? Yeah, doing great. Good to be here at Jitex. Uh, awesome. And we have two amazing guests with us as well. Good friend here, Tamim Ahmed, who's a researcher at UCL. Say hello. Hi, hi. Love to be here. Thank you for having me. I also have a new friend now called Dalton Ramini. <laughs> From the London Stock Exchange, who's emerging the emerging technology practice. Say hello. Hi, hi everyone. Thanks for, for having me here. Great to have you guys. All right. So it's lovely having you guys on. I mean, lots to discuss. I mean, I'm personally interested in quite a few topics I wanted to, to touch upon today. Some of it is regarding tokenization, STOs, and others is, is more around sort of the rise of institutions and sort of seeing all this really interesting activity happening. But for that, quick introductions from both of you guys. So Dotin, do you wanna go on first? So yeah, so I co-steer the Emerging Technology and Innovation Function at the London Stock Exchange Group. We are predominantly focused around 
how we can leverage new technologies such as blockchain and DLT to really drive the adoption of these technologies for creation of new products and services for the group, as well as you know creating new operational efficiencies, mainly through blockchain as a, as a tech. But yeah, no, we, we are looking at digital assets specifically in the context of financial security. So you know your traditional kind of stocks, you know fixed income instruments as well as structured products. And we're really focused on how can we leverage the technology to open up new efficiencies in the marketplace? How can we create new opportunities for service providers to come in? How can we provide greater efficiencies and uh, cost reductions for some of our clients? And just how can we how can we drive future innovation in this space? So that's really our focus. Awesome. Thank you. Tamim? Yeah, myself, I sort of work out at University College London at the Centre for Blockchain Technologies. We're a multidisciplinary group under the Computer Science Department. And under the Computer Science Department, we have Financial Engineering Labs. And underneath that, we have the Centre for, for Blockchain Technologies. So our role is quite interesting. We kind of work with industry and regulators in trying to identify how we can essentially do a bit of knowledge transfer. So commercialising the research that comes out of UCL. And, and I get this really sweet spot of sitting in between that, between sort of industry, regulators and academia in sort of identifying new opportunities and problems to solve. So yeah, I think it's an exciting time to be talking about sort of the industrial applications around blockchain and then, yeah, looking forward to having the chat. Awesome. Like, just a quick jump in it. Can you guys just say how you first got into the blockchain space? I mean, you could be blockchain or crypto, depending which angle you're coming at. I'll be happy to. So I guess I, I kind of got into crypto, I guess, a good number of years ago. So I was, in, I was working for a prop trading firm, discovered Ethereum, found it really interesting, and then essentially started a video game startup looking at creating digital assets in the games industry. So we actually, one of the first projects, Ownage was its name. I eventually moved on from that to another blockchain fintech. And that's kind of how I started on that journey professionally, being engaged in the space. So yeah. Mine's a bit bit more boring unfortunately. <laughs> so for my undergrad I studied physics about 10 odd years ago. One of my modules on there was cryptography and in, when oh, you nice. study cryptography you always maybe you had used computer science so there's always a notion of an Alice and a Bob yeah and then on the reddit forums in the early Bitcoin days when you're reading some of the sort of, like, sort of documentation on that there's always a reference of Alice and a Bob. So that got me into the whole sort of like the Bitcoin sort of community and taking taking an interest in in that and that's where it stemmed from. Nice. So yours came from cryptography and yours came from cryptocurrency, right? Okay, fine. Perfect. Okay, so you're on the research side, yeah, right? And you're on the application side. Pretty much. So is there a blend between the two of you in terms of working together? And what what are you you working on? We've actually spoken about a project that we were meant to start, right? Indeed, yeah, we had some conversations. So yeah, I guess on the sort of research side of things, it's super interesting because being quite unquote an elite institution in this sort of like space of research and academia, we get all sorts of people coming to us mm. from industry. And we kind of quickly realized actually industries sort of picking up a lot of the hype. Spent half of my time speaking to compliance officers around trying to educate them on what crypto is and what, what is this Bitcoin stuff, our yeah. fund managers keeping coming to talk to us about. And then we got other folks like LSEG and sort of other central banks looking at how they can use a hybrid version of this underlying technology. But there's always this first piece of education. Can you actually tell us what this stuff is? And mm. do we actually need it? So my role is then to kind of understand and almost tell some of these institutions that what they need, they're not prepared for yet. And then we bring together the right sort of academics to customize their problem that they're looking to solve. 
And one of the things that we've been sort of looking at recently is, is around sort of securitizing sort of assets in different sort of classes. I don't know how much I can talk about. So there, there's some interesting topics, but maybe I'll, I'll pull in Durden here and then you can sort of, I, I might just jump in and say, say a few bits. So where do you guys sit on the research side then? So my role is, is less research and more kind of technology strategy. So I work very closely with our you know, senior business teams across the group businesses. And we're really looking at, again, you know, where are the opportunities that are in this space around digital assets and digitization. And um, you know, clearly there's a lot going on in the financial market sphere at the moment. You know, there's a lot of focus on how do we realize STOs, quote unquote, right? We get a lot of inbound requests from tokenization startups and other fintechs who ask the same question. When can we put our security token on the LSE? <laughs> um, and, and there's really a simple answer to that. And the answer is very much around we have no restrictions right now to list a digital equity versus a physical equity on our markets. The restrictions exist as a function of the kind of broader regulatory landscape, and that's kind of outside of us. So we're working closely with a number of partners in the space to really solve for that. And that's really in building technology that would kind of provide the backbone infrastructure, so to speak, of, let's say, the future of financial markets as we perceive it. So we were actually in the FCA's Financial Conduct Authority's Innovation Sandbox. We, start, we joined last year. We were basically designing a solution to facilitate post-trade settlement to digital equities as a starting point. And that's really around sort of laying those foundations. And it's really important, mainly because to list their financial security on an exchange, you need to have that asset registered and the depository for the purposes of settlement, which is very different to the model that which I'm sure a lot of guys who are into the crypto space is probably used to, where essentially you have a, a centralized crypto exchange and they can facilitate trading and settlement on venue all at the same yeah. time. <laughs> Whereas the, traditionally the financial markets just haven't worked that way for a number of reasons, but yeah. yeah. Awesome. And like you mentioning, you, you were supposed to do a project together, research side? Yeah, or? just didn't, you're looking at this post-trade settlement actually project and there are different sort of avenues of how you can look at it. Yeah. Hopefully it will still happen. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, and that's how we, we, we were kind of acquainted. Yeah. But there are a number of other, there are so many sort of opportunities in this space. We as a research institution find it quite hard to pick one. Unfortunately, um, academia is a very <laughs> sort of self-interested sort of self kind of place. So you also have to work with professors who kind of say, yeah, I like this topic and nah, that's not of interest, so I'm not going to do it. So you're working with a lot of sort of emotional academics at the same time as well. Dare I say, I hope none of my... None of the professors on my team are listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get back to you, Dota, on, on um, you mentioned how you guys are basically work on the regulatory piece, right? Like that's the, let's say, the stumbling block. And I used to work a bit in the security token space around a year and a half ago. I was with a company that was doing some form of securitization and wanted to get regulated by the FCA as well. And I mean, I learned quite a lot from that in the sense where, correct me if I'm wrong, Everything now is just physical, right? Although we have a digital interface, things are still physical, whereas the composition is not digital in itself. And that's where the tokenization will come in once the composition is actually tokenized. So can you clarify a bit on that and like where we are now really? Absolutely. So, so I would say that is correct, but slight expansion of that. Okay. So if, if we take, for example, equities in the UK, mm. it's an interesting use case. So equities in the UK kind of come in two forms. One is very much kind of a legacy form and that's in certificated form. So, you know, you, you mm. get a share issued and it's issued as a certificate. Yeah. And that certificate provides a representation of ownership. Way back when, these were bearer assets. So if you held that certificate, yeah. you held the share. Eventually that system was replaced as one would expect with a more robust system where you have a centralized legal register 
and that was held either by the company itself, so you'd, you'd manage your own cap table, or you could essentially, you could pass that on to a registrar who would provide that function for you. Eventually, once kind of secondary markets came into the picture, there was a mechanism that allowed these assets, these equities, to be kind of digitized or moved into electronic form through a process called dematerialization. And so we, we have pretty much all of our equities today, or most of them that are traded on regulated markets, are, in, are traded in dematerialized form. So they exist in a database. That database is managed by a central securities depository, which is a regulatory authorized entity that provides that function on behalf of the sovereign state or the, the economy. And they provide the function of settlement mm-hmm. as part of kind of the, the secondary trade, trade for illicit okay. trading of the, of the instruments. But there are still certificated shares in circulation. There are certificated shares that are actually held in CSDs too, because they provide a function around management of those, of those assets as well. But yeah, there's still some, some variation there. So to get back to your other point around tokenization, what value does that bring? Tokenization to me, it's just, it's a form of digital transformation, but looking Mm. specifically at securities. And so, yes, there are still assets that, you know, are represented in physical form. Tokenization provides a very elegant solution to digitize those and allow them to be transferred seamlessly across the ecosystem. There are still regulations in place in in some markets and for some asset classes that make that not such a clear, clear cut transition, but that fintechs are working on solving that, regulators are working closely with the ecosystem to see you know, where they may, be, they may be able to make adjustments to better facilitate some of these innovations, so yeah. Yeah, if I can probably add to that, I think one thing that a lot of people miss about tokenization or blockchain broadly is that it's a coordination technology. So it's yeah. essentially coordinating the software, the, the legal, the regulatory kind of framework, and then also more interesting, the, the economics of actually how the system is gonna, gonna work. And that, as a result of that, the, the problem then becomes actually how do you coordinate existing legacy businesses and enterprises that are competitors in the current landscape yeah. when they're driven by sort of shareholders and stakeholders who have sort of interest in their own, in their own company. So actually, how do you bring together these large enterprises is going to be the next sort of problems. And what we're beginning to see now is some enterprises are changing their attitude towards this and they're realizing actually for us to have a longer term sort of sustainable outlook in this space, we're going to have to work with some of our competitors. And I think what I'm really excited about is we're going to start to see the, the new like utility functions coming out of some of these collaborations between, between enterprises. On, on the research side, how much is on the technical side, the capacity for the technology to deliver the end result? Yeah. And how much is on the human element of behavior and people and all, you know, old world thinking and whatever? Yeah, yeah we're definitely one of those groups we have to mediate a lot. So bringing people together, we host a number of sort of working groups. That's probably 50% of it, actually trying to understand what are the problems these individual institutions are trying to solve, what, what, what requirements gathering essentially. And then it's a case of, do we have the resources based on that to build some sort of MVPs? And all of that sometimes, unfortunately, limited to how many PhD students we have. And again, is it of interest, research interest to the academic lead or the principal, principal investigator on that project? So I'd probably say 50-50. We, we typically partner with a technology service provider. So one of the larger, larger, bigger names to, we, we'd, we'd do the initial requirements gathering, probably do a bit of data analysis, and then sort of with an institutional partner say, look, 
rather than going and spending tens of millions on this project, we'll do an MVP for a fraction of that price. And if it makes sense from a, from a research perspective, we then would advise them to go and spend the larger ticket orders with some of the bigger technology service providers. And would this mostly be, and which applications and actual industries is this mostly operated? I know that you guys said you get lots of folks coming, but where yeah. is it most? Is it mostly in tokenization or DeFi? Um, or? It's been quite broad. So I think one way we can talk about is one was around sort of like mortgages, so mortgage okay. settlement. So bringing together four or five large sort of British banks. It's a common problem they have in collecting data around mortgages. Can mm. you have one ledger to collect all this data? Is also with the FCA in the UK. Yeah, so then we have a lot of sort of one or two payment sort of use cases, and then a few legal sort of projects around settlement, dispute resolution, which is like pretty big. Um, and I think, yeah, like we can talk about that in, in a bit, sort of what happens when you're, when you're having to transfer data which also has some sort of asset allocated to it and it's being transported so for example i'll use a crude one looking at i don't know smart fridges your fridge kind of realizes your milk has gone off and it sends a message to tesco's or your local supermarket say the milk's gone off but then tesco's you know, orders the milk it goes to maybe you drive to deliver the milk but the milk, something's wrong, gone wrong with the milk. And so who's, who's liable in that case? Who's going to actually pay the customer back for paying that milk? Or worse, if it gets to the customer and they drank it and it got sick. Yeah. Who is actually this whole new world of like insurance and underwriting, which oh, we wow. just, 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 just haven't really thought about. Then that's a huge market then. That, yeah, that, yeah. That's just... <laughs> I think the insurance market is going to be yeah. like super exciting. When once we can like scale up the bandwidth of, of moving data around and ensuring it's a, such a simple point, but then you apply that into securities and then then you okay, fine securities. Then you think, well, who actually is holding it and who's was this person officially allowed to hold it in the first place, even if he is holding it, right? This is what I was gonna ask you. So why don't you guys just define what it should look like and just go build it? Just just put the stamp and go, this is what it should do, this is how it should work. You will fall in line because we are LSEC. So in many ways, that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do. No, no. I mean, I, I think we've spent over the last, let's say, you know, 18 months doing a lot of analysis. And it's really looking at, you know, everything from kind of market structure to the kind of legal structuring of securities to a lot of the kind of commercial activities across the entire value chain of capital markets. And through a lot of that, it's been really clear to us that, yes, there is value in the technology, but also there are ways in which we are obligated to navigate you know, the structure of the world as it is today and to try to sort, find solutions that can fit within that rather than trying to kind of throw it all in the bin and start again with a clean slate because we exist in a regulated market. The point of liability is a perfect one, right? Mm. So, you know, trust in financial markets is vital. It is foundational to the success and the sustainability of, of the financial markets and the broader economy as a result, right? So for us, it's very important to make sure that if we are going to deliver a solution, we need to get it right. If we're going to build financial markets infrastructure that's leveraging distributed ledger technology, we need to solve for some of these considerations. If a CSD is going to be operating a settlement system on a distributed ledger, does it have the authority to be able to manage a situation where someone loses their private key, for example, in order to authorize the movement of a, of a security? How can a CSD step in? How can an issuer step in and self-write these situations? And it's really important because, you know, we're talking about assets with valuations in the trillions for mm. some of our larger markets, right? So these are a lot of the considerations we need to work yeah. through, you know, 
technology resiliency is a big one. Can yeah. we leverage public ledger technology? Is it resilient enough for our needs or do we need to operate a, you know, a private network that's more constrained that gives us a level of additional security such that we can manage that? I mean, all of our infrastructure today is run on private networks, completely isolated oh, from the yeah. internet. So how can you deliver a solution that provides accessibility for the broader ecosystem, but then at the same time maintains that level of control in terms of your information security? Can't you just so build an API on the private? That is, Sounds good. It's not that simple, but <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> I was going to say, another, ask another question. When you first looked in the blockchain with LSEC and you saw the black hole, right? How narrow was it and how wide is it now? Um, <laughs> good question. It was, it was pretty wide when we looked at it, into it initially. Okay. And I think it's kind of, in some ways it's grown, but I think in some ways it's shrunk. Okay. Uh, I mean, we, we've, been, we've been fairly fortunate in that, you know, we have a very strong team with experts from all across the business and they've got, you know, very deep expertise in the space or well, in the broader capital market space. And so being able to bring an understanding of the technology into that environment and being able to educate, you know, all of these individuals on this is what it is, this is how it works, this is how we can leverage it but also being able to kind of balance each other's considerations. So a lot of the time, some, and specifically when in a commercial setting, when you're looking at blockchain technology, everyone's operating with assumptions on what blockchain actually is. And so it's helpful to be able to approach that from a perspective of, you know, at the end of the day, it's still technology. And if we're designing a solution to a problem, let's design, let's first understand the problem and then design the solution around it. We may end up with a blockchain that doesn't look exactly like what we have today. It may be slightly different in some ways and similar in others, but we should always start with what is the problem we're trying to solve rather than trying to bring a solution and try to shoehorn the, the problem space around that. Yeah, I think one thing that, that you touched on was, well, I think I've matured my outlook of this space from being very retail to a bit more institutional is by seeing like permission blockchains, like private permission blockchains, they're just picking up pace where larger institutions are coming together, they speak the same language, they have similar problems and they essentially trust these networks and have similar sort of business interests as well. So you, these like permission blockchains are going to grow and I think... And are these the IBM Hyperledger type? Kind or? of, yeah, okay. kind of. Not Hyperledger specifically, but you're going to have IBM driving small consortiums around sort of like certain problem sets forming. And I think that's probably going to come as an outside sort of observing into that that's going to grow much quicker than the retail space. So when you look at, as I mentioned yesterday was, you look at actually financial markets and how they're shifting. You look at the large sort of index funds and the ETFs, there's so much cash flowing into this space right now. Like, so I think, looked at the numbers last year, something like almost $2 trillion in cash moved into this space. And ETFs have a very similar I guess, feel to securities markets or more crypto markets. And so what I'm trying to see, what does that actually mean? Are we going to stay, is crypto going to be a very retail driven product because where it is right now, or is it going to become an institutional product? And then you look at, as an early indicator where Bitcoin is right now, 60% of the largest sort of financial institutions are trying to get into, into Bitcoin. What does that say? For me, at least, it's going to become an institutional product. And does that mean the whole blockchain and crypto space is going to move that way? I think so. Before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Blockfinex. Blockfinex is a global cryptocurrency exchange where you could trade your cryptocurrencies in lightning fast speed. With Blockfinex, you trade with low fees compared to industry-leading competitors. They have one of the most fastest matching engines in the space with massive market-leading liquidity. 
so you can quickly and easily trade your favorite coins in seconds. Do make sure you pre-register before they launch for exclusive offers. You can find them at blockfinex.com. But I mean, to you, when you discuss this institutional piece, you're talking about, like UA talked about, okay, these companies who have these similar business interests will come into the same type of network, but we're seeing way more. But you brought in the example of financial companies. I, I feel that, I mean, I, at least my opinion here is that I feel that it will just maybe stick with financial companies because they're just profit driven. They just want to get, they, they just see this as an interesting asset class and they just want to get that Is there exposure. Anything wrong with that? Like, no, no, there's nothing wrong with it. But yeah. I feel when it comes to enterprises coordinating around, let's say, a blockchain network or whatever, yeah. right? I feel that would take way longer. I feel retail might come in into the exposure mm. of these asset classes. Like you'd be surprised when you look at how, how much these sort of enterprise organizations are struggling and they're being pushed on profitability by their shareholders and stakeholders like this is going to eventually give way. Like they're going to have to coordinate with one another just to stay competitive. Um, I Do you have a timeline? Do you think? 2021 is going to be very interesting. Okay. I think it's uh, like the whole, the equity space is just really sort of bubbled up at the moment. You look at some of the stock, stock prices and whatnot, it's all just tech basically. <laughs> yeah, 2021 is definitely going to be an interesting time to, to see what happens. Awesome. On the, the London Stock Exchange side, what is going to be the first thing? It's very vague on purpose. <laughs> if you're going like, to just talk a little bit about what, where you think it's really going to go, what do you think will end up being that thing? It's a good question. I mean, so I, I think there are some low-hanging fruits. And I'm not speaking specifically about the LSE here. I'm, you know, maybe more broadly around you know, capital markets and interest in, in this space. There are opportunities to look at indices on crypto. It's a very interesting one. You know, there's some exploration that's been done so far that we've done so far under the FTSE business around that. But there are, there's also exploration that others have done in that, in that space too. And these are some of the interesting ones. You know, we also have a technology licensing business and we partnered with crypto exchange providers um, to provide technology to them, whether that be matching engine tech or exchange surveillance tools, market surveillance tools, which are going to become increasingly more important as a function of some of the micro or market yeah. crypto assets regulations that's been proposed, obviously in draft form by the EU Commission, but the expectation is that will be concretized and rolled out across all of the EU member states over the next four years. So, you know, we will start to see some real maturing of the crypto landscape. But really, I think a lot of the near-term opportunities are inherently in crypto. On the digital security side of the world, primary issuance seems to be seeing some really big gains. There are a lot of tokenization platforms that are maturing, that are getting authorization mm -hmm. through these innovation sandboxes and are building client bases and getting deal flow. So I think that's an interesting, interesting one. I think the, the next follow-on from that will be you know, maturing markets. secondary markets, but more negotiated trade, so OTC yeah. trade flow, and then building net business networks and investor networks around that, leveraging the technology. Obviously. Solution providers need to be very careful that they're not essentially providing MTS, but not calling it MTS. <laughs> but essentially, that's kind of part of the journey. And then eventually, I think once you get the, the core infrastructure in there for um, listed trading, then that's kind of the end game. Yeah, I just want to touch up on that quickly because we, we talked a bit before, um, before the podcast about like where we are with sort of digital securities. Because the last big thing I remember in the UK, maybe I just haven't read up on it, is Navara coming in, tokenizing, I think it was 2030's Accuracy, raise, yeah. right? On the turquoise exchange, right? And that was an amazing use case, right? Of that technology and of that primary insurance. From then till now, like 
convince me about how much this space has grown. <laughs> <laughs> well, convince I mean, him. <laughs> God. <laughs> progress, progress moves at a slow pace in this industry, right? And I think, you okay. know, it's, it's a function of, again, we exist in a regulated landscape following off the back of the initial yeah. test that we did in, in the SCA Sandbox 4 with 2013 Navora. It was clear to us that there were obstacles that needed to be overcome to take that to the next step. And the next step of that was obviously listed trading. So that was yeah. kind of how the, the Sandbox 5 project came around and how the inception of that's kind of moved forward. But that really triggered a lot of market analysis and broader analysis that was required to really understand how do we design a solution that kind of works, works for that. Okay. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a long road, it's a long journey. We're not the only ones looking at this. So, you know, obviously the Germans are looking at this, the Swiss, Swiss are looking at this, both of which in anger, they're putting mm. a lot of money behind very strategic projects to solve for this. And again, across many of the jurisdictions, both yeah. in the EU and internationally, on the US side as well, right? So. Is there anything you can say you built was really cool with blockchain or crypto tech within that LSE, that in LSE? <laughs> We're, we're <laughs> I can't say too much around kind of what, what, you know, what we're doing and what we've done. But, um, you know, I, I think some of the work that we've done more recently has been really exciting. You know, we've put a lot of work into it. We've done some work that, um, yeah, I can't say anymore. But, yeah. <laughs> ah, There's still a lot of work to be done in space. Yeah, absolutely. Just, when you actually go down and look into the problems of the applications of blockchain, especially just simple things around governance and voting rights, which is like embedded into some of this technology. Yeah, it's crazy. Trying to get people around to talk about these things is still, it's just, it's a people problem, first and foremost. And there's a sort of breakdown between stakeholders, shareholders, and where the business actually needs to go. Yeah. Yeah, we're still far away from some of those like simple low hanging things, I think. So just on the, I think governance is an interesting topic and it's interesting in the context of, we see a lot of technology startups, fintechs, who are really keen on how do we leverage technology to solve the governance problem conclusively. Can we just remove that altogether and just say, so, you know, put it in the technology? It's all smart contracts done. When you get into the reality of, you know, of a market or a problem domain, it becomes a lot harder. And you do tend to find that there are aspects of governance that you just cannot systemize. And so it's really around trying to understand, you know, where is that balance and how do you find, you know, that happy medium? And the other, the other challenge is specifically when we look at like regulatory compliance, you may be able to systemize some aspects of it. But ultimately, you need some level of agility because you don't always get it right, you know, first time. And so it's very important to have a strategy and a solution whereby you can account for that. You can make decisions, rapid decisions on specific edge cases that maybe need more discretionary decision making. And it's important you know, where essentially the timeliness of that is very important. So it's really a careful balance, but it's a lot more complex than sometimes we as technologists like to give it credit. So moving now then from governance onto DeFi, Right, because that's what we're all uh, seeing in the market. What, what does it mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. From an LSEG perspective at the moment, nah, we're not really looking at it's it. It's like another ICO <laughs> craze, right? But, well, no, I mean, from a personal perspective, I found the growth of DeFi really interesting. You know, it's, there's some real innovation there in terms of establishing a new, let's say, market model for organic growth of liquidity in an entirely you know, automated way. And that's really fascinating for me. You know, you're obviating the need for an exchange, you're obviating the need for market makers. It's a very, very interesting model. I mean, obviously it's very nascent. It's, it's not a perfect solution. And there are inherent problems in some of the current designs of like Uniswap and some of the others. But I think what's interesting is, you know, this is just the start, right, of this innovation. And it's nice to see it happening in a space where there is that freedom to explore. You can leverage cryptocurrencies that are currently unregulated to really test some of this stuff, right? prove the economic models, prove the technology solutions, and then evolve that to a state where when you have something that can demonstrate clear value and does consider 
stability of those underlying markets and thus consider investor protection, then that may essentially set a precedent for larger financial institutions like us to say, hey, this is really interesting. What can we do to leverage that pattern and maybe roll that out for our clients and our businesses, et cetera. Yeah, point. And from your side on the research? I haven't looked into too much around the data. Right now, it just seemed like, like, like you said, a bit, a bit of a hype. But I do believe it is setting, like Don says, a presence for a new market infrastructure. It's probably one step ahead of when large organizations will probably have to coordinate together. And this is going to be probably a PhD thesis somewhere to look at the Uniswap sort of case of, whoa, this is a marketplace for securities. Yeah. <laughs> and there really is, there's no third party sort of intermediary or trusted party in between all this. It can possibly cause a lot of businesses to go out of business. So it's setting, yeah, setting a nice sort of test case for big future research pieces. Are there, are there any interesting DeFi projects bubbling in UCL that I could get into a pre-sale for? <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was one, but I didn't even know about it. We're just such a large institution and um, there was one, unfortunately. Yeah, oh, okay. I missed out on it. <laughs> while, we're, while we're being cheeky, how many Uniswap wallets did you have? Oh, none. Did you have enough? I don't know. You missed out on the great yeah, train. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's good. It's good. Yeah, what do you guys think about Uniswap? It's it's an amazing primitive. I think there'll there'll be better ones coming yeah. out for sure. Yeah, I, I find 100%. it I find it very interesting when the hype was going on during August and, and September, but I haven't used it since. So I don't know if I'm your average Joe to use Uniswap or I'm just like just in and out of the space. But you know, I, I find it useful sometimes when all the craze was going around the tokens and no exchanges have them listed. It was just easy to go to Uniswap. Yeah, yeah. and get what you wanted. Yeah. but now you know. It's just difficult because the, the price gets fluctuated a lot just because of the 50-50 split. Mm. Yeah. And you well, and can't the, have a stop loss on Uniswap. Yeah. And the dumping so as well, the dumping on a, on a pair, you just don't know until any one of the coin market cap or whatever picks up on the trades. Yeah. You're, like, you're sitting there watching, you go, oh, it's climbing. And then suddenly it's at the floor. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, well, it just fell off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. At least on a central exchange, you can see the cliff coming. Yeah. And you can see the orders coming in, right? And then obviously I'm not technical enough to start watching the, the trades on chain and stuff like this. And then I'm like, oh God, you know what? Get out of this space. Because <laughs> like, I'm watching it going up and then suddenly it's going down. And I'm thinking, what on earth just happened? I think it's probably setting the foundations for new markets. It's an interesting space of like VR and AI yeah. and gaming generally, where you're, you've got digital assets moving around in these secondary marketplaces, sort of, sort of looking at, I know, you can, what are some of these games where millennials, is it millennials even, or Gen Z, what's the big one? Well, right now, Fortnite, for example, PUBG, where you have these digital assets, or where you own these items and like gaming things, it's actually, are they non-fungible tokens or collectibles? But can you trade them on secondary markets and can they happen seamlessly mm. in the background in this new virtual world that we're going to live in? I think a Uniswap type of solution there is going to be like yeah. super interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, yesterday we interviewed Vesa. Um, I don't know if you guys met him. He's a really interesting artist here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing physical art and like really interesting NFTs. So like we literally discussed all of this yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, cool. On yeah. the both sides for both of you here, how does it work when people want to interact and work with you? Like, do you have like working groups to allow the third parties or the startups or the enterprises to come in and talk to you? And is there like a big queue now because everybody's FOMOing over the price of Bitcoin and they're like, oh my God, we got to get into blockchain. What's going on right now in that space for you? 
I mean, you know, generally we serve the institutional and professional financial markets. So, but we do get a lot of interactions with, you know, obviously our clients, we've got a very, very broad client base, but also fintechs in the space. Obviously attending conferences like this is a great way for us to meet service providers and see what people are doing and, and bridge those connections. And we're always open to having conversations, you know, to see what opportunities there might be, to see what new solutions people have developed and, and designed. But yeah, yeah, I mean. So you get, you get, the, you get like the trading spike, right? When FOMO builds a BTC, you get tons of inquiries coming in. Once it collapses, you get loads of withdrawals. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're not, not so much affected by what goes okay. on in the crypto sphere, but yeah, no, I mean, you know, we speak to every, everyone from custody technology providers to tokenization platforms to other exchanges and other technology providers. So yeah, yeah, no, we do tend to speak to a lot of technology service providers that are really looking to solve problems more in the digital asset space than the crypto side. So yeah. Yeah, I guess on the research side, yeah, we're inundated and it's one of those problems where fairly market neutral. I think what we're doing more, more so now is just connecting people. Because we just get so much inflowing demand and a lot of it we just cannot serve. We're a small core team, a very small core team. We just cannot serve everyone. We've built a large network of probably a thousand research associates. I mean, it's continuously sort of growing. And these are like experts in their fields um, and academics across other universities and institutions around the world as well. But yeah, inundated at the moment, whether it's MPs or whether it's enterprises or it's startups trying to get some credibility in the space. Can you help us run a white paper? Yeah, we're just inundated at the moment. So in the research space, yeah. like obviously you're in the research space and we're all in the application space, right? In, in deploying whatever research was done in the past. There aren't, they're not all boring, right? No, no, no. What are you trying to say there? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I'm so, off this. So you're talking about... I mean, you didn't tell me about... Yeah, but so you, you seem like a very open and communicative person, but like, how are the, the, the people doing the deep research? They're great. They're fantastic. They're not doing deep research. <laughs> Honestly, I get to sit in this really sort of interesting position where I, can, I get to re read a lot of the research output and sort of speak to the people to say, hey, you're sitting next to me. Can you translate what this actually means? And then sort of get a high level overview of, yeah, okay, I get what you're trying to, you're proposing here. And then at the back of my mind, I'll know, oh, six months ago, I knew this entity was trying to solve this problem. So it's a case of then just connecting the dots more so, more so than ever. But it's really broad. You know, some of the guys out of, for example, in, in information security, you say they're really deep down into the technology. We're looking at some of the privacy elements and then deeper down into actually how does this stuff coordinate? Can you have like different models around? Yeah, so it does get pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty technical as well. You guys must have been laughing when the first white papers were coming out. Yeah. Well, the first ones actually were proper white papers. And then the ICO version of a white paper was basically uh, fluffy rubbish just to raise money on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I saw, I saw, we went through a phase of, I'd see my face on typically Asian sort of ICO launches. And it would have your name like Bobby Chang. <laughs> with this, this guy's face, I'm like, that's obviously not a Bobby Chang, but people are looking at this, oh, he's at this sort of institution and, and, and whatnot. But, but yeah. Oh, I hope you got paid lots of tokens I afterwards. Didn't, I didn't. I that's the worst part. <laughs> Amazing. It was great having you guys yeah. on. Just as a wrap up, what are you guys going to do together now? Like after you've had this, <laughs> this conversation, are we going to see some really cool research blend straight away into LSEC or... I think, you know, we're going to keep talking. We're going to explore opportunities to work together and see, you know, 
what, what areas are interesting for us. I mean, we're, we're doing a lot of work at the moment, again, looking at technology, but it's, it's really about, you know, where are the opportunities in terms of specific use cases? We've done some exploration of some, but being able to really deepen that is really going to be really interesting for us. And then, you know, there may be other areas. I mean, so, you know, CBDCs is a really hot topic right now. There's a lot of research and analysis that still needs to be done. There's a lot of development in this space. It's very, very emerging. So for us, what exploration can we do um, to, you know, really see, you know, what opportunities there may be for us and our counterparts in the industry? So, yeah. All right. One, one quick fire round question we will usually ask is if Bitcoin and Ethereum falling off a cliff, which one would you save and why? Ooh. I'd probably save Ethereum because Ooh. I think it's got such a community vibe about it. Yeah. And I just yeah, really value that community kind of platform that they're building, the flexibility of it. And again, I think it's always people, people, people. And I found it easy to get on with a lot of the Ethereum community wherever I've been in the world. And yeah, short answer there. I think it's a hard. Are you allowed one. to say? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a hard. I think it's a hard one. I think I would. I would love to agree with you, and I do agree with you. But I would probably just. I would probably say Bitcoin, and the only reason I would say that is is to me Bitcoin holds holds something of a kind of ceremonial value in that mm. it, you know it really set the precedent for all of this, right? And I think. You know, said this many times actually since I've been here. Bitcoin is, is very much the proxy of kind of mindshare for blockchain and crypto in its entirety. And as the you know, kind of growth and, and awareness of, of Bitcoin increases, so does the appetite and interest in everything else that follows. So I think it's just on that basis alone, it's, it's worthy of salvation. What about you guys? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> My phone's ringing. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to go with Ethereum primarily because the, the, the applicability to programming and things you can do with it very quickly out of the box, Yes. right? That, that, that's why you can do more with it out of the box yeah. than you can with Bitcoin at the moment, but it doesn't mean it'll be like that forever. That's, that's my personal opinion. And do you think Bitcoin's going to become a function of Ethereum? Well, I mean, if you, start, if you start synthetizing everything, if you have programmability in the token itself, it does more already than what a Bitcoin does. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And as you can see with all the synthetic movement of assets from Bitcoin into Ethereum with all the, the wrapped coins and stuff, I mean, will Bitcoin actually have transactions or will you just basically put Bitcoin on Ethereum and then just do that? And that's why everybody's talking about it right now, right? You, you say you have 21 million Bitcoins, but maybe there'll be more because somebody's leveraged them onto Ethereum. Mm. So I'm uh, looking forward to that space playing out. I'm a bit biased here because my startup is entirely on Ethereum at the moment. <laughs> so, I mean, a year ago, I would say Bitcoin. Now I would say Ethereum. Again, interacting with so many people in the space, just yeah. the mind share is just absolutely amazing. So yeah, I would, at least for now, go for Ethereum, yeah. Yeah, we know awesome. we didn't even get into like synthetic assets and all that sort of stuff, but we'll have to do another episode <laughs> online and we'll go into that space. Cool. I'm, awesome. I'm just looking forward to the LSEC ending up on like some Ethereum exchange <laughs> with all of the uh, derivatives and all the everything that's available on LSEC just being available on Ethereum. You know, you just get People a, are building a wrapped speak, version of it. So it's just going to bridge <laughs> it and you just won't have any control. <laughs> if anyone wanted to get in touch with you guys, how would they do so? Twitter is probably the best way. It's at Teamers, like myself, that's T-E-E-M-U-Z. And you, you can find me on LinkedIn, just my name, Dotton, D-O-T-U-N-R-O-M-I-N-I-Y-I. -I -I. 
and yeah, feel free to send me a, a friend request and uh, yeah, we'll take, take the conversation from there. Cool. You're going to get a lot more friend requests right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh going to spike. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like DeFi. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I mean, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you very much for having Cheers. us. Yeah. Bye-bye. It's been great.